I know I'm a strong chef, but I wasn't getting the opportunities I wanted in Ireland. So I took it to America, a way bigger audience here. And for the length of time that I've been here, like things have been amazing. All the opportunities that I'm getting that are coming up are just phenomenal. Just hard work pays off. Don't ever give up on your dream. And if you have to make a move at a late stage in your life, make a move because I'm so delighted that I made a move. Amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel. Welcome to episode 83 of the Flavors Unknown podcast. My guest today is Chef Declan Organ a.k.a. Big D. You might have seen him competing in Hell's Kitchen Season 19. Chef Horgan is from Ireland and moved to the U.S. for the American Dream. I am your host, Emmanuel Roche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the U.S. And every other week, I have conversations with chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists from around the country, talking about their success, their challenges, and trying to understand how their cultural heritage influences their creative process. You can check the episode information and all other episodes on the website Flavors Unknown. And please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Flavors Unknown. Chef Declan Horgan is about to open a restaurant in the DMV area. He talks about his youth in Ireland and his experience on the TV show Hell's Kitchen and his sources of inspiration. Hi, Chef. How are you? Hey, how are you? Pleasure to meet you. Yeah, pleasure to meet you as well. I'm really excited to have you on the show on Flavors Unknown. So you were a finalist, you know, in the season 19 of uh, Hell's Kitchen. Yes, and I was, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm curious because, you know, 8 in 10 adults, you know, in the U.S. watch like cooking shows, but... I'm curious to hear from you what was your motivation, you know, to participate in the show. My motivation to participate on the show was the fact that I, I knew it was a, a launching ground and for people to actually see me about how I work in a kitchen, how I work with people. I use it as a platform to advertise myself. And I was lucky enough that they uh, picked me to go on to the show. How was the experience overall? The experience being on that show was one of the maddest things I've ever done in my life. And also, it was um, spectacular because of the fact that uh, it's hard to describe it when you're behind the cameras, but each service was like a, a proper restaurant service. So uh, all the emotion, all the adrenaline, everything is pumping while you're cooking there. So it's like a real restaurant service. I understand, obviously, because there's cameras and you know you're on TV, so there's a lot of pressure. But you have been used to cook into like, you know, open kitchen and having people, let's say, watching you cooking, correct? Into like even like Michelin star restaurants. So how, how is it different? So I've worked in a lot of open kitchens, but with the fact that you're monitored by a camera and you have a microphone 24-7, I had to make sure that I sort of looked at it as a job interview. And I also as a way to advertise myself and get my name out there. But uh, it a job interview all the time. So I tried to 
they'd blank out the cameras and the microphones and I just did my thing the way I always do. Like it was literally me being me on TV. That's okay. all I can yeah. describe it. Obviously, we only see an edited version, you know, when people watching. So how realistic is that version compared to what you live, you know, every day? When you say edited, there isn't much taken out. And it is as it is. There's no retakes. If you make a mistake, if you fall, if you cut yourself, that's it. It's in there, you know. Uh, if you say something you don't wish you couldn't say, um, depending on how bad it is, they'll cut it out or they'll beep it out or whatever. But um, it you is. cannot curse, correct, with the microphone. Oh, no, you can, yeah. Of oh, you can? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Okay, very cool. So, of course, I'm going to ask you now the questions that everyone wants to hear. It's like you answer it. Um, what was your relationship with uh, Gordon Renzi? I think it was really good. He, but the first thing he said to me when he saw me was like, yeah, what took you so long? I've been here 17 years. And I was like, oh, yeah, man, I was getting ready. Don't worry. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he heard of you before. I have a few friends that used to work with him over in London. And I was on the Food Network as well. So I think they looked me up on the Food Network to see what I was all about when I was with Guy Ferrari. And uh, he heard about me that way. Plus, my interview process, I sat in front of eight producers when everybody else's interview was 15 minutes. Mine was about 35, 40 minutes long. They were intrigued as to what I had to say. Six foot uh, four Viking walking in with an Irish accent. I think I had them under my spell. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, and then and the, he branded you, I mean, uh, with, you know, so they all call you Big, um, Big D over there, correct? Yeah, so Big D is the name of my barbecue sauce. And it's also because I'm six foot four. I'm built like a shit brick house. So that's why they call me Big Declan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are you still in contact with Gordon Ramsay after the show now? Or? Instagram, he reaches out and congratulates me on some stuff and likes what I'm doing. You never know what could happen uh, around the time that I open up the restaurant here, uh, Jack's Ranch. When we open this place up, I might have a personality from the show here. And you never, you never know who else could show up, maybe. Okay, that's great. That's exciting for you. Any big lessons that you have learned, you know, from your participation, you know, to the show? My personality and my character really has an effect on people for a positive way. So many people since the show, it was released in Australia first, and so many people have said that I'm an inspiration to them in all aspects of life. And they said that I was the best contestant ever, the funniest contestant ever. They say that I got robbed, but hey, say la vie, as they say, you know. It was released around the world before it came out in America. So the world was going crazy for me, first of all, before I even, before it even aired in America. But when it aired in America, I walk into a mall now and people stop me to take photographs. It's unbelievable. I was only out yesterday. We went for a wine tasting and people in the, near the area, there was a bar and was, we were walking past the bar. Two people stopped and said, oh my God, that's Big D. Can I do a photo? And I'm like, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. That's great. I mean, obviously, it's going to bring people, you know, to the restaurants when uh, you have the, the restaurant open. So what was your favorite challenge on the show? One of my really favorite ones was uh, uh, make it and recreate it. So Chef Gordon Ramsay and Chef Christina made a dish and then we had to replicate that dish. And I got 98% correct. and got my black jacket. And then the other one was in the taste test challenge. Um, out of every season, there's only like five or six people that got it correct. And I'm one of those people. The whole taste test challenge, correct. So those two were cool. And then um, 
obviously when Wolfgang Puck was talking about my chef Aaron Sanchez was talking about my food, all the chefs, it was just it's just wild. And what do you feel that uh, was your best dish that you cooked in the season? I'd say the steak at the start, which I got five out of five. And it was simple cooking, but I did it right and I executed it really well. And some of the later dishes, uh, I'd argue with them that I didn't get one. But I think in the final five dishes that I had to cook, my take on corn-fed chicken, America, that came out really well. I believe the dish that I did for Wolfgang Puck, who tasted my um, pui lentils with a morel cream, pom pom uh set puree, or king, king, king oyster mushroom, and uh, the filet mignon. Uh, I think that was one of my good dishes as well. I was uh, a bit taken aback after all his comments. And then he gave me a seven out of 10. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So are you going to take a, like to um, put any of those dishes on your menu on the, on the restaurants or? I, I might take one of the dishes that I did for the two brothers, the two Italian guys, where I made a chicken parm, but I dipped it in cornmeal. I'm going to prove them wrong. And I'm going to get that dish correct with the cornmeal that the chicken is going to be juicy. That's cool. And um, yeah. it's going to look... How I presented it, it's going to look as good as that, if not better. I'm going to get the cornmeal to work. Obviously, when uh, people listen to my voice, they know that I'm French. And I'm sure that, you know, when they listen to yours, that, you know, you're Irish. So you grew up in, uh, in, in Ireland. So how would you describe your youth? Growing up, it was like the Hardy books. You know what I mean? It was in Dublin? It was in Dublin from a young age. All the lads or all the boys always fighting growing up in the street, in school, everywhere, just continuously fighting, fighting, fighting. Grew up then, and yeah, it was interesting. My mother and father are really good to me. They were some of the main influences of why I became a chef and without even knowing that. My mother was a great cook. Her sisters are great cooks. And my father was into uh, sea angling, and he was one of the Irish captains. And he was also into hunting, where he's now the president of a few deer shooting associations. So I got to use fresh fish game. I got to butcher it. I got to taste it from a very young age, which all added up to um, being born with taste and then not being afraid to taste different foods. At a young age, I got to taste everything. Like Cool. So you were cooking with your, your mom and uh, your aunt then? Or? Uh, my mother's mother is the first one that taught oh, me okay. cooking. Uh, from all the Irish style food, then my mother watching her, then watching my aunts, and then gradually we'd go for dinner in other people's houses. I'd always get to eat this really tasty food, and um, it just grew from there. I think I did my first dinner party for one of my aunties and two of her friends when I was seven. I did um, rack of lamb with a honey and mustard glaze, sauteed green beans with garlic and bacon, and then I made like uh, a dofflemos potato. At like the age of seven, all, all regurgitated from watching it on a TV show. Oh, very cool. At that age, I was um, with my mom in the kitchen as well. And I learned how to, uh, at six, to make like a, a quiche Lorraine because my mom was from, you know, Lorraine region. So, but the rack of lime, I was not at that level for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> that's, yeah. really, that's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So I'm guessing when you made the decision to go for to culinary school in Ireland, your parents were all, all supportive. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, they were delighted that uh, I was doing something with myself rather than just being an idiot or a bum, you know. <laughs> uh, for me to be accepted to the culinary college and to uh, go to that, they were super proud of me, you know. 
I'm curious because that's the first time I speak to a chef that had, you know, a training and culinary school in, in Ireland. And, you know, usually the chefs are here in the U.S. So, so I, I've heard from a lot of the chefs that have, they were classically trained, I would say, like, you know, French techniques. And I'm, I'm curious, was it the same for you and, you know, in culinary school in, uh, in Ireland? I had worked in some kitchens beforehand, before I went to catering school. Okay. When I got to catering school, then I learned what it all really meant and all the French techniques, yes, um, some modern techniques. And then um, I just loved it and I just absorbed it and lapped it up. Like. So who were your mentors Mentors, and what did you learn from them? Because, you know, after that, you know, in, in France, and I'm just curious, you work for like Michelin, you know, star restaurants. So if any, any of those chefs were like mentors for, for you? The ones that were my mentors were chefs that I bought all their books. For example, Nico Landis, I bought his book. Charlie Trotter, uh, Alan DeCasse. Um, I was watching all them when I was younger. Um, aspiring to look at Jamie Oliver's. Aspiring looking at Marco Pierre White, Gordon Ramsay, Paul Flynn in Ireland. Yeah, these are all the chefs that I looked up to and started following as uh, I was starting in my career. And uh, they're more of the reason from looking at the pictures in their books and the cooking techniques that are explained in the books. I just got deeper and deeper into it. Like at this stage now, I think I've got a, a collection of over a thousand uh, cooking books. Yeah, and you moved to uh, the US when in 2013? 15. 15. Okay. Yeah. So what, what, what was the reason for you to, to move here? Is it like the idea of like living the American dream or what, what was like the, the objective? The object of living the American dream, for sure. Uh, the fact that um, I know I'm a strong chef, but I wasn't getting the opportunities I wanted in Ireland. So I took it to America, a way bigger audience here. And for the length of time that I've been here, like things have been amazing. All the opportunities that I'm getting that are coming up are just phenomenal. And um, just hard work pays off. Don't ever give up on your dream. And if you have to make a move at a late stage in your life, make a move because I'm so delighted that I made a move. What do you think about like the Irish food here served in the US? Part of the reason that I decided it was between Australia or America, part of the reason that um, I moved to America was that I saw Irish food on the Food Network from America. And I was uh-huh. like, yeah, that's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really bad. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, eventually we'll come around to that again. I was doing it before when I was in the wharf. Um, I was running an Irish bar there, and I was making gastropub Irish food from scratch. Everything was made in the house, and people were going crazy for it. So they think that this is where, because unfortunately, you know, people put labels on, you know, on anyone, but that's where people want to see you ending up, like, you know, like doing your own take on Irish food or Irish food influence and you know here in the US my dream for america is to take my concept of a steakhouse and um open it up here in america with uh, the irish twist to it we'll have the american beef we'll have the japanese beef we'll have the italian beef but we'll also have irish beef shipped over is my dream okay so what when you mean when what do you mean by saying with the irish twist Sides, Irish flavors, Irish potato dishes. Um, so, what is Irish cuisine for you? How would you describe it? Right now, because of the way all the chefs have been trained, um, it's very contemporary, um, way modern. 
way like the old classics would have been reinvented and modernized. So they would be. Can you give us an example? Yeah, say beef and Guinness casserole, right? You could serve a beef and Guinness casserole in a heat proof glass and then actually have it that it's brown from the Guinness and the gravy. And then on the top, you could use a, an IS, uh, ISI canister to do a oyster foam because Guinness and oysters go really well together. Beef and oysters go really well together. And then um, you'd make the beef and Guinness casserole look like a pint of Guinness with the foam on the top. Oh, cool. You're talking about Guinness and, you know, beer and obviously important in, you know, in Ireland. So what do you think pair well? I mean, you're, you, you mentioned two examples, but pair well with, you know, with beer. So for the, the restaurant that I'm opening now, I think when it comes around to St. Patrick's Day, I'm going to take the idea of uh, beef and Guinness casserole again, but I'll make uh, a farce of beef and Guinness and I'll stuff raviolis, but then I'll make a, uh, I'll take the, the liquid, braising liquid, reduce that down till it's uh, monte with butter, and then um, I will do a take of beef and Guinness casserole. Instead of the potatoes, it will be pasta, and then it will be raviolis, and then scattered on the plate will be small shards of the braised beef as well, which is stuffed inside the raviolis, some caramelized onions, and then probably a foam, again, an oyster foam, or I might do a white cream of onion foam to finish it off. And then you have your pecorino and parmesan. Wow, that's complex. Definitely. Wow. And so you're, you're talking about oysters. And I, that's true. I never have thought of associating and combining oysters and, and Guinness. But does like other like seafood like pair well with Guinness? Or it's typically like oysters um, because of... Dublin, Dublin Bay prawns, uh, scampi. So... If you were to make scampi out of the Dublin Bay prawns, which is uh, they're gently battered and deep fat fried, a pint of Guinness and a fresh bowl of scampi with uh, lemon juice and salt, some tartar sauce. Oh, yeah, really good. Very good. Okay. Any other traditional dishes that are from Ireland that you would like to elevate or would like to um, have or modernize? So people in America believe the Irish were raised on corned beef and cabbage. <laughs> um, yes we're actually we were actually raised on bacon and cabbage so i would like to do young pig the rack of a young pig and then turn that into bacon by curing it but serve that like a rack of pork from a young piglet sauteed proper irish green cabbage then a beautiful mashed potato made and finished and then um between the brazen liquid from the the, the cabbage and then making us a proper velouté but turn the velouté into a honey and mustard cream sauce with three different types of mustard in it to match with the baby pig bacon and then take the idea of bacon and cabbage the irish way and then make that more delicate and sophisticated on a plate for sure wow. three types of mustard so what yellow dijon and um, what else so there'd be all the irish mustards um, oh, damn it no dijon <laughs> so there'll be strong Irish mustard, uh, strong uh, honey whole grain mustard. Okay. And then probably I would try and use a Guinness mustard or a whiskey mustard, but all from the Irish producers. Do you do we find them here in the uh, in the US? I never seen yes, them. Uh, if you look up a brand called Lakeshore, sometimes okay. you find that. So I'm guessing you're celebrating uh, St. Patrick's Day, correct? Obviously. Uh, I will when it comes around again. Yeah, for sure. When it comes around again, yes, sure. <laughs> and, and, I always got to put a damper on everything. 
<laughs> what do you eat uh, you know at uh, during St. Patrick's Day? St. Patrick's Day for me is uh, I like to do a home style baked shepherd's pie using um, lamb shank or sometimes I make a beef and Guinness casserole for sure. And then other times if I'm lucky and I can find good bacon, I'll do bacon and cabbage, like I said, 100%. Yep. If, if I can find bacon ribs with the bones still on them, that's the really old school way of doing it. And um, I'll boil bacon ribs to go with the bait, with the cabbage and the mashed potato. It's delicious. Okay. And this is where you use your your barbecue sauce and you know, that's uh, no, the same. No. The barbecue sauce. So that's another passion of mine that goes back to pork ribs rather than bacon. And um, also with my recipe, uh, it goes really well. It finishes stir-fried rice. Uh, it's outstanding on chicken. and It's unbelievable on pork. It's a finishing sauce. So you cook your food whatever way you want and then literally just put the sauce in to heat it up and to glaze the ribs or whatever, but mouth-watering. Um, okay. And, and there, there's an Asian twist on it, correct, you said? Correct, yes. Okay. It's FDA approved. Yeah. Um, it's low sodium, gluten-free, uh, low sugar, full of superfoods. Yeah, um, not a lot of calories, correct? If I've... 15 calories. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. And it's, it's really good, very healthy, uh, kid-friendly for sure. And then it's got such a low sugar content, but yet uh, comes across as not having a fake sugar flavor. It's, it's diabetic friendly as well. Big D's, that's the name of the sauce. And where can we find it? So we can order it online? Right now, you can order it through my website, www.chefdeclanhorgan.com. Uh-huh. Um, as well as that, I'm in big talks with one or two companies to try and get it into big major stores in America. Uh, one of them, hopefully, will be Walmart. And oh, uh, yeah, cool. I'll be finishing wow. soon. Oh, wow. Yeah, so keeping the finger crossed for you. That's great. That's great news. The barbecue sauce is one of eight recipes for sauces. And then anybody out there is interested, I have different food concepts that I will be bringing to market all under the Big D's range. For example, Big D's uh, fish and chips tartar sauce, Big D's fish and chips batter mix, uh, Big D's uh, fish and chip vinegar mix. There'll be Big D's breakfast sausages, Big D's Irish sausage rashers, and Big D's black and white pudding for breakfast proper because... It's hard to get really good stuff here. Very cool. Now you are preparing to open a restaurant in November, Jack's Ranch in, you know, in Virginia. So explain to me here that combo, this equation of like an Irish chef in Virginia cooking Italian food. So what's the result of that equation? So what's going to happen with that is uh, I'm going to feed Italians and Italians are going to be actually proud of me saying that I'm doing their uh, Italian cuisine justice because that's what I hope to do. I hope to bring it back to the basics. There'll be no frou-frou. It will be rustic style, but it will be modern through all the tricks that I've learned, through the different styles of cuisine that I've done, the molecular gastronomy tricks, the Michelin star tricks from the restaurants. I incorporate them to get the best out of products. But for example, when it comes around to SEP season here, I'll find the the finest polenta from Italy, and I'll make the best creamy polenta. And through the smoker that we have, I'll put through beef short ribs through the smoker. Once they're done, I'll serve that with the lovely creamy polenta, and then the seps will be sautéed. Depending on the size of them, I'll either quarter them or slice them, but the seps will be sautéed and finish in marsala wine. And then basic 
plates, but high flavors that work well when you combine them. That's what I'm home to do with the Italian food. I do feel that Italian cuisine and Irish cuisine have their roots in feeding poor families and trying to make the most out of it. So I don't want to complicate the dishes. I just want to accentuate the components of the dish to get the best out of it. A lot of time, like for Americans, they are looking at foreign country cuisine. You know, it's like Italian food or it's like, you know, French food or whatever it is. But as you know, I mean, coming from from Ireland, that each country have their regions, their specialties, and, uh, you know, their, their, their focus. So for your restaurants, what would be like the source of inspiration when it comes to Italy? It comes like, is it like different part of Italy or are you focusing on something? No, it, will be, it will be regional for the whole part of Italy and even the islands and then also seasonal. And then when it comes to different seasons, for example, I'm going to hit the north of Italy for uh, game and stuff more so than the south of Italy. But that's not the rule out that I won't use southern style ideas for my game dishes. For my fish dishes, they'll all be based out of the south and the islands. I'll try and keep it like that. But then all the meat products, uh, because we have the two smokers, we're going to have a lot of smoked meats. And uh, those smoked meats are going to be a big aspect of what I do with it. The only steak that we'll be grilling is the Biscetta Florentina from the Cianelli beef. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So, yeah, more earthy and then let's say richer and buttery, you know, meaty flavors from the north and then the olive oil and, you know, seafood from the south. Okay, got it. Generally speaking, I mean, beside, I would say, you know, Italy at the, at, the, at the moment, what are like usually your sources of inspiration when you look at creating a, a new dish? For the Italian cuisine right now, I look for the original version of that dish and research the history. And then I take that dish in my head and I dissect it into its components and its cooking techniques. And I try to reassemble it in a different way, but yet that it's still the same thing best way to describe it if i'm going to be making carbonara we're definitely going to be using guanciale not pancetta we'll be using really good fresh black pepper ground as you need it there'll be a 70 percent, 30 percent mix of parmesan to pecorino to finish dishes i will be using the technique of using a small bit of the pasta water i will savvy on the egg yolks with the fat from the guanciale before i fold them into the pasta with the water and everything so that I can lie the whole lot of it and then finish it. Presentation-wise with that then, that is a simple carbonara. But with that, what I might do is I might take the crispy flakes of prosciutto or take the guanciale and turn it into small crispy crumbles and finish the top of the carbonara with that. And then also I might take the guanciale, slice it super thin so that I can use it like lardo and just let it melt over the top of the, uh, the pasta that I make it with. All my pasta will be coming from uh, an Arcoblano pasta machine. I've got about 14 dyes right now. And then as each month goes on, I'm going to purchase all the pasta will be fresh. We won't be using any dry pasta at all. And you have established the, the recipes for the pastas already? Or? Um, so I've been working close with Arcoblano. I've already established a 22-page book alone on pasta and noodles of different flavors, different styles to get the most out of the machine that I've, I've just purchased. For example, we're making chestnut pasta using uh, puree de maron to make the uh, maron flour to make uh, chestnut pasta. 
which are going to do with duck or whatever or foie gras. Wow. So any any other type of interesting, I would say, flower, like beside the chestnut that you mentioned that you're going to use? Or? Oh, uh, I'm going to take the idea of soba noodles made with the buckwheat flour, and I'm going to make a buckwheat pasta, but I'm going to do it like a, a buckwheat pasta slash ramen, slash Italian-style ramen, and use the smoked meats to finish the top of it, which will be one of my special dishes that I'm going to keep as a special that it won't go on the menu until I'm finalized with it. And I'm happy enough that I've got such a, an interest in that dish that they will want it on the main menu. Okay, so, so it's going to be, a, a, I don't like the term fusion, but like a, a combo of Italian and Japanese then? With no, no, Japanese just, flavor? no, just just for that one dish is a, a special concept that I'm coming up with. Other things that will be happening is I'll make my porchettas all the time. Porchettas will be going through the smokers continuously for a hot main dish of porchetta. Then what's left over is chilled for my Italian-style sandwiches, which will eventually be in the Josephine's Market part of the restaurant. We were doing a Roman-style pizza dough that when you put two of them together and you bake it, it's what they use in Italy for making these street sandwiches. So porchetta will be going through that. San Daniela will be going through that. Mortadel will be going through it. I'm Literally, it's... I won't Americanize any of the Italian cuisine that I'm going to do. Yeah, so it isn't going to be a red sauce house. It's going to be off the wall. For example, I'll be doing um, a seaweed sauce made with uh, nori seaweed, but we'll have not Japanese flavors, but we'll have a good seafood flavor to finish a sauce with a green tinge to go with fish. From all the techniques I learned about fish in Paris, because I was a poissonaire, they're the sauces and the flavor combinations are going to match up. To go with pasta, to go with vegetables that are plated or proteins and veg and whatever, and not just pasta all the time. For example, I might take a, a, a version of Italian chorizo that's heavy in paprika and oil, similar to a, a Spanish. I might make a, something on an Italian version of Basque style pepper. Like an andouille or, you know, type form? Yeah, some, somewhat, but um, a Basque style pepper stew with chorizo, but finish it with um, Calabrian chilies and a little black, black olive, and I'll pan fry white fish to go with that. The idea of a bouillabaisse, but I'll take it and I'll make the bouillabaisse have more of an Italian feel to it to make uh, dishes that are that stew style of bouillabaisse, but with an Italian taste to it. For example, I might make a gnocchi, but I'll make the gnocchi 50-50, uh, some type of a trimming off fish and potato so that it's a, a 50% fish potato gnocchi. Little tricks like that that people haven't really been doing. And uh, they'll be like, what? This Irish guy's making banging food, you know? <laughs> so you are busy, you know, in Virginia. So are you going to, and because, you know, you, you've been hunting when you were younger in islands, are you going to connect with, you know, hunters over there or and forager as well? I'm thinking Forgers. that's probably a lot. Yeah. So uh, farmers from a two-mile radius of the DMV, I'm in contact with them as well to grow produce for us when feasible. Uh, mushroom foragers, because mushrooms are a big part of the Italian menu. I've connected with a lot of mushroom foragers to source morels, sep, chanterelles, gyros, black trumpets, everything, oyster mushrooms, lobster mushrooms, mains, everything. And they'll be a big part of my dishes that I make, the sides that I make, everything. Then truffles, 
I'm sourcing truffles from different suppliers right now, from pre-packed truffle products like the truffle paste to also seasonal truffles that are whole and fresh, where I'll come down to the table with you when you buy, for example, the Biscetta Florentina, which comes off an animal, a porterhouse off the animal straight is about five and a half pounds in weight. So when you order that for like a party of six or eight or whatever, and then I was like, I'll come down to the table and go, do you want to bring it up a notch? Let's talk about truffles. I'll have different types of truffles in a box. And then I will uh, go through the history of the truffle, the flavors, what's, what's going to match the steak, carve the steak for you because it's such an experience and so big. And then I'll bring it up a notch by weighing out the truffles that you order and then serve them on it. Same with your dishes. I hope to have uh, vases with risotto rice on the days of the special that have got truffles inside it drying, but also impregnating the resort, uh, boreal rice so that I can use that then as a, a truffle risotto, you know. Uh, same thing with eggs. I'll uh, perfume the eggs with truffles inside it on display so people can see it. And when they go, what the hell is this? Yeah, because they have no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's then, true. Then the we don't see that too much here. Yeah. The chef is perfuming the eggs to make you a dish sure. if you're interested. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Are you going to have the chef's table at, at the restaurant? There is um, a, a table situated near the kitchen. The kitchen is about 70% open, but there is a table near the kitchen area that's sort of like a chef's table where you'll be close. You'll get to see me and hear me and whatever else. Yeah, for sure. Doing my thing. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Any of uh, uh, other future projects that you want to uh, share with us before I, because I'm going to, to finish like the our conversation on the series of rapid fire questions, so I, I just want to to uh, give you the opportunity to you know share anything if you there's anything you want to. I'm now connected with a new talent company called Take Three Talent, and they're hoping to get a show together or maybe a pilot on me and trying to get my own show. Okay, I'm all the Irish chef, the Irish <laughs> chef in America. Yeah, uh, I'm doing a project and um, in the works. It probably won't be for another 18 months, 22 months away. But uh, I'm taking the idea of the Dublin style fish and chip chipper into uh, the DMV, but um, bringing it up to a new level. So it's not one part of it will be like a chipper to go, but you can then sit inside the restaurant and everything will be solely to do with fish. And where will it be at? Like in Virginia as well, or Virginia DMV? Yeah. Okay, I'll get it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So other projects I'd like to share, apart from my barbecue sauce, would be uh, Kikuichiya uh, Japanese knives that I'm an ambassador for. Uh, the company is 750 years old. Uh, they used to make the katana knives or swords for the samurai warriors, and um, they've got two stores: one in Japan, one in New York. The knives are of the utmost quality. If you look at my Instagram page at Declan76, you can see. Also, I'm an ambassador for a really cool chef uniform company called Permachef. And um, when you DM me, um, I have a code for discounts for people who want to buy some cool uniforms off Permachef. And then also, I'm working with a company called Kuru Shoes. Being on your feet all day, Kuru Shoes are unbelievable for chefs. They have anti-slip. The orthopedic system inside them for your feet and for your heels is phenomenal. You have to wear them for about two to three hours a day for three weeks before you can really get the benefit out of them because they, they fit and they suit to each individual. But they're unreal. 
Okay, so first question I have for you for the rapid fire is like, yeah. uh, what is the food smell that reminds you of your childhood? Food smell that reminds me of my childhood is uh, my mother's moussaka without fail. Moussaka? Moussaka, when she baked it at home. Oh my God. Okay. There any any Greek background then? No, just my no. mother was an amazing cook. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Okay. The, the cookbooks that she used were from like uh, Delia Smith, who was one of the big chefs of Europe back then, you know? Mm-hmm. What is the most important aspect of being a chef? For me, it's the creativity. And okay. being able to see somebody come in with no skill, and then as they work with you, you see how they catch on to a skill and how they develop and what they do with it and how they grow in the kitchen. That's really cool for me as well. Do you have a bad habit that you would like to get rid of? I did. I got rid of it, and that was uh, smoking cigarettes. Oh, congrats. Yeah. yeah. Okay, very I cool. I got rid of that. Um, okay. Right now, I'm on a big uh, health regime uh, to get ready for the opening of the restaurant. I'm losing weight. I'm on a diet. I'm doing everything. I'm walking. Yeah, I'm I read about that. Congratulations. That stuff. That's another. Yeah. yeah. And, so um, the point is actually you know, sustainable, especially in, in the the field that you are in. That's not not easy. The last restaurant I opened, I lost 130 pounds in six months. Wow. So that's six how months. Much, yeah, that's how much time and effort and how much of my soul. What did you do? The food and how I'm I guessing opened. it was diet plus exercising. Correct. It was a combo of both, or. It was a combo of opening the restaurant and working hard and then diet. So exercise went to the went to the side, but the exercise in the kitchen was enough. What's your favorite guilty pleasure food? Guilty pleasure? Uh-huh. So smoked meat, that's like barbecue. That's guilty pleasure. And that, that fatty brisket, that juicy brisket, those uh, smoked short ribs, the burnt ends. Oh, Christ. The burnt yeah. ends, I love it too. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of wood do you use for? Uh... Technically, for the Texas style, uh, we use uh, post oak. But then up here in Virginia, I think we're going to get white oak, which is similar. But then it depends. Like I can mess around with pecan woods. I can mess around with maple, apple woods. Just depending on what I'm doing and how delicate and how strong. And Are you I'm trying mesquite as well? Or no, not yet. For me, mesquite is gorgeous as a fire pit wood. But uh, I haven't done it with smoking yet. I think that um, I'm excited to do it. And I can't wait because these smokers, we're going to try different woods every now and again. Even as far as we might try a little bit of orange wood, if I'm yeah. doing pork products. Cherry wood, uh, yeah. some are using. Have you had the chance when, uh, since you are in the U.S. and I mean, I'm guessing, you know, 2015 to tour a little bit the South and, and taste like different barbecue yeah. style? I went down to um, Austin, Texas. Uh-huh. That's where I'm at today. Yeah. All right. Awesome. I went to Austin, Texas, and uh, I tried everybody's barbecue down there mm-hmm. from Blacks, Terry Blacks, Franklin's. And then I also went to barbecue school with uh, Leroy and Lewis, and I was with them for five days. And I also worked with uh, Chubb's Barbecue to learn uh, the smoker technique and, and equipment and the best way to utilize it. Um, Leroy and Lewis were one of the most interesting ones for me because they were thinking outside the box. They were using the smoker to do comfy beef cheek and stuff. So oh. that was really cool. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Beef cheeks. Love it. But with, <laughs> with me and the smoked meats, I'm not going to tie my hands to the American smoked meats. I'm going to do all sorts. I'm going to smoke butter. I'm going to smoke my fish. Um, I'm going to smoke uh, the ducks before I turn into a duck prosciutto, for example. And um, we're going to have... Duck the, prosciutto that you're going uh, to do? The, okay. Um, 
The porchettas um, are going to be going through it continuously. Uh, I'm also looking at boar goats from a farm in Texas and also another farm from uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Boar goats are the South African goat that produces the largest amount of meat. That would be our area. Yeah. In my area, there's a lot of Persian people. So I'm looking at getting the Persian lamb uh, for the fact that they, uh, can, they, they love the fat of the Persian lambs. They charge it like saffron and whatever. So I'm going to have them as specials every now and again. And then we're also looking at suppliers around here like Automotive Farms for Berkshire pork and Kabuto pork, everything. It's just, it's going to be off the charts. So yeah, do you have the chance to tour a little bit, you know, the restaurant scene, culinary scene in, in WDC? And oh, no. DC, there's a few yeah. spots that's my favorite. Yeah, so sure. if, uh, if you and I will go uh, to, uh, to DC, so... What are the five spots you take me to? Right. So we go for one of the best burgers you ever can ever, ever had is either with my friend Alex McCoy at Lucky Bones and, or my other friend Marcos Panos at Bum Papa. Uh, Bum Papa are just, we did a Big D's burger for the Rami Awards and we're waiting for the results uh, for the new hottest sandwich shop in the DMV. I would bring it to Chico for a mix of Korean and Chinese food. That'll blow your mind. Daiyaki is a kaya for the best ramen. And then a favorite spot of mine in Georgetown is Il Canali for Italian food. And then for our chicken wings, which one of the biggest things in America, and we buddy up in uh, Wingo's for some of the best chicken wings around in the DMV as well. So my last question is, uh, uh, beside the, the classic, what condiments, spice or sauces do you have on hand at home? Not at the restaurant, at home. Everything. Yeah, but yeah, you need to be. You need to give. I've got Afghanistan saffron that I use a lot. I've got uh-huh. that I use in some of my cooking. I've got a whole range of every type of spice that you would see in a restaurant at home. I've got two of these bespoke pep salt and pepper mills. Each one is about four hundred dollars each. They're made from um, a special type of aircraft aluminum. They grind the spices that way I want down to the micron, and then I can adjust it to whatever level I want. Thereby, Weber Design. And um, they were gifted to me because of the show and whatever. And probably some of the best pepper mills, salt and pepper mills I've ever used. So spices. I've also got a coffee grinder, an old one, that I use for grinding up fresh spices if I want to use it for cooking. Sure, and yeah. I do it that way as well. Okay. Uh, my floor of the apartment where I lived on the 13th floor, people say that uh, it's got the best smell out of all the other floors <laughs> in the cooking that I do. Very cool. So thank you, Chef, you know, for being on the show. I, I really appreciate, you know, that you've given me the time to, uh, to be on it. So I wish you all the best with the, uh, the opening of, your, of, of the restaurant coming in November. Thank you very much. That's awesome. Thank you for listening today. And thanks to my guest, Chef Declan Horgan, for being on the show. You can find all the information and the website that Chef Horgan mentioned on this episode on my website, flavorsunknown.com. If you have listened to this far, you obviously found value in this episode. Thank you for listening. Could you do me a favor? I want you to be an evangelist for the show. I want you to take your phone and think about people who will know will like it as well and share it with them. Next week, my guest is Kat Gordon, founder and owner of Muddy's Big Shop, a favorite sweet spot in Memphis. Thanks to Chef Kelly English for making the introduction.
I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at Flavors Unknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.